You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we are looking at the 1979 TV movie called Salvage, which you will also find under the name of Salvage 1. And uh, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit. But uh, And you can actually find it both ways out there on bits of it on the net. You can see the opening credits as Salvage, and sometimes you can see them as Salvage 1. To my knowledge, as best I can tell, the original was called Salvage. All right, synopsis. Harry Broderick is a highly successful scrappin' salvage man with a dream. He wants to build his own rocket, pilot it to the moon, and salvage the Apollo hardware left behind by the manned U.S. moon landings. He's been secretly planning this for some time, staffing his salvage yard with ex-NASA engineers with advanced degrees who could not find jobs after NASA layoffs at the end of the Apollo program, and he's been aggressively pursuing salvage deals and building up his stockpile of cash. When he broaches the subject with his staff, at first, they think he's kidding. But soon, the ex-NASA people come on board to his way of thinking. They get him in touch with Skip Carmichael, used car salesman, and former backup NASA astronaut, author of the Translinear Vector Principle, and wildcard maverick kind of guy with daredevil ideas about space travel. Exactly the kind of guy that NASA keeps on the bench. Skip explains his Translinear Vector Principle to Harry, trimming safety margins down from 100% to uh, 85 to 90%, and using extremely powerful rocket fuel. They can make a single-stage Earth-to-Moon rocket that uses slow and steady constant acceleration to make the trip to the Moon in two days without orbiting and without problems with re-entry. Sounds like a great idea to Harry. There is one catch. The fuel doesn't exist, but they can get around that by employing another ex-NASA engineer now working as a pyrotechnician in Hollywood, Mel Slozar. Mel can create the fuel, and after a mishap on the set, she's in need of a new job. What Skip has not mentioned is that Mel and Skip used to be an item back at NASA. Construction of the rocket begins, as does the development of the fuel. Using a highly explosive substance, monohydrazine, Mel can create a fuel many times more efficient than rocket fuel. However, there are some problems she'll need to work out. It's extremely unstable at room temperature, and it gives off highly toxic fumes. At the local FBI field office, Agent Jack Klinger is alerted to an unusual number of explosive purchases by Mel Slozar, and he goes to Jettison Salvage Yard to ask her some questions. She's a fully licensed explosive handler, and she has the plausible explanation that the explosives were purchased for making movies, not being a terrorist. So Klinger leaves, but not before he gets suspicious about the thing being built behind a tent. Back at headquarters, Klinger sets up 24-hour surveillance on the salvage yard. The team also suspects Klinger is suspicious, and they accelerate their launch plans. It becomes clear that they cannot launch the spacecraft without a flight computer, which they do not have. So they steal computer access via modem to Fleming Aeronautics in San Diego. 
With a flight computer ready, they test the engines at full power, still behind the tent. The rocket performs well, until it doesn't. The fuel begins to overheat, and they must shut down. The test, however, is enough that the top of the rocket has peeped out over the tent, and the FBI have the proof they need to get a search warrant. Given advance warning about the warrant, they must launch tomorrow, something that will be impossible unless Mel takes Harry's place on the flight. She is the only one who can handle the fuel if it begins to heat again. Next morning, they start the launch as the FBI raid. The computer link fails and Harry calls to abort the mission, but Skip and Mel decides to proceed on manual. The launch isn't going well, but they get into the air and the flight computer comes back online. Broadcasting their peaceful, commercial, and downright plucky mission info to the entire world, the crew of the Vulture, as the rocket has been dubbed, captures the imagination of the world. Although the FBI put them under house arrest, they cannot stop them. Confidentially, the FBI director informs Klinger that congressmen and generals are praying for the mission to fail. But if it succeeds, there's nothing they can do except grin and bear it and buy the salvage back from Harry. When the rocket arrives at the moon, an inconveniently timed system maintenance at Fleming Aeronautics, still unaware that their computer is being used for the mission, causes the connection to be lost and the flight computer software to be deleted. Skip must land manually, which he does, but the rough landing damages one of the Venturi. They will not be able to take off without a flight computer. Nonetheless, they proceed to fill the hold with salvage. Harry has no choice and goes to Klinger, asking for access to NASA's flight computers. He bargains with a lowball price on the salvage, but has a backup hardball game with an offer from the Russians to buy the salvage and provide the flight computer. Klinger agrees. With NASA on the job, they're soon able to take off, but a coolant leak soon causes the temperature of the monohydrazine fuel to rise dangerously. Mel diverts their oxygen supply as a backup coolant, but they have very little left to breathe and soon pass out. On Earth, Klinger has learned that the ship is full of monohydrazine, and heading straight for Los Angeles. He calls in air defense to destroy the rocket if they cannot get in touch with the crew. Using an uplink, Harry's team blows open a vent cover when the ship reaches the atmosphere. This wakes them, but starts filling the cabin with toxic fumes. The vent cover is resealed. Awake now, Skip manages to break open the window of the airlock, letting fresh air in. Relieved, Clear calls off the air attack with only seconds left. Slightly off course and below the horizon from NASA's telemetry, Skip must once again land the ship manually, this time in a busy downtown park. With the world watching, the Vulture and her crew triumphantly come home. Later that night, they are sad that it is over and contemplate going on with their lives apart from one another, when a man from the government arrives with a proposal right up their alley. The end. Oh, kind of salvage. Yep, seen it before? Yes, I watched it when it originally aired on NBC back in 76. 76, 79. 76, 79, one of those years. I was one young. One of those. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 January 1979. 79, uh, is the only okay. Air date I can get off of it. Um, yeah, so it was around 10. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I saw it when it originally aired, and I, I will tell you that it was, to me, at that age, just a little older than you. Um, the most amazing <laughs> movie ever made. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was very, <laughs> this very was, inspiring. Wow. I mean, this is, of course we can do that. <laughs> of course, <laughs> man. And that's so cool. I have hopes after all. 
you know. Oh, yeah. Even, yeah, that yeah, was like, I, oh, I remember talking to my friends about the feasibility of a bunch of uh, grade schoolers building a, a rocket ship. And of course we could. <laughs> of course. Of we course. We saw it on TV. Uh, oh, yeah. I, that was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure it was like, yeah, you could do that. I, I can hear those words coming out of my mouth um, at that age. And uh, yeah, looking at it now, um, <laughs> look, yeah, I still enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's still like a, a cracking boy's own adventure kind of story. But um, it's like the most American movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, well. The, the the plucky, hardworking, down-home folksy man with big dreams makes it happen. Others tell him it can't be done, but he can. He takes the risks, and it pays off big. A plucky businessman can do much better and cheaper than an inefficient government. It's a very, the uh, world Robert admires Heinlein. him for it. Yeah, yeah the very world Robert loves Heinlein him for it. Story. Yeah. It's like, wow, that is, uh, that is... I didn't really catch it, but I'm, I could see people in other countries watching this and going, Americans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it even made like it out the of the dream. US. Yeah. This is like the dream. I mean, this is, this is the lie they sell everyone. <laughs> everyone can grow up to be president in this country. <laughs> everyone can grow up to be, go to the moon. It's like, no, now if you apply, try hard enough, you can be rich and successful. And it's like, no. <laughs> Like no, no. Uh, but but back in those days, uh, that was definitely the uh, the marketing on it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, do do you really think President Carter would have said this is a tribute to the American free enterprise system? No, that just does not sound like President Carter. No. I'm not saying he was, you know, against the free enterprise system, but I mean that's just not what he would have pulled out of that. That's what somebody who's telling you, you know, if you work hard enough, you can do it. That, yeah. In America kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but you enjoyed it? I mean, on, re on rewatch as an adult, I, I, I didn't yeah. ask that. Yeah, other than, you know, the 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 sheer hokiness of a lot of bits and pieces of it. Yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed their in, the inventiveness of using the bits and pieces of, of basically junk to yeah. create something that, you know, does something quite amazing. Uh, you know, I got a chuckle about a lot of the, the, uh, the bits that they didn't get right because, well, they didn't have the internet and a lot of science knowledge that they could pour through easily. See, I, I find that really hard to believe because obviously in 1979, all those poor NASA engineers with advanced degrees were working pumping <laughs> gas and selling used cars and working in the salvage yard. And uh, that, boy, there is something deeply disturbing about that narrative. I think that there's another, there's something that they didn't really go into and they probably didn't have to because back in 1979, everybody would have easily remembered that five years earlier there was the um oh at least first OPEC oil embargo. And I believe yep. in nineteen seventy nine there was the Iranian oil embargo. Yeah, um, probably. Well there was that, the Iranian um I think that's when they took over the embassy. Uh, yeah, the the troubles the if you want yeah. to call it that. 
Yeah. So, and, and you know, so, so gas prices were soaring. So the idea that they got rid of the Apollo program or the space program because it was too expensive and, you know, using fuel, which actually, you know, the cost of the fuel is pretty cheap compared to gasoline because it's hydrogen yeah. and oxygen for the most part. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I guess I, I see that, but you don't think about it too hard. I, I can't see it. I can't see those NASA engineers not being able to get a job with a defense contractor. Oh, in or, that respect, no. No, they would get yeah, jobs because everybody yeah, they always get jobs. highly trained engineers to do stuff. I mean. Exactly. And, and and the reason I find that kind of offensive is there's this sort of idea that that sort of edumacation is, uh, is useless apart oh, yeah. from you know, these highfalutin government wasteful program kind of nonsense. And right, like, because they you know, these guys have know, high degrees. They're extremely intelligent. They they could do lots of different things. They don't have to be doing moonshots. Right. Exactly. I mean they could always work for a defense contractor. Yeah. They always <laughs> seem to have jobs. Yeah. So I mean it there is kind of a there is kind of a snide uh, side eye being given to the Apollo program. In this show, and, and and the government, right? It the, there is a this is in a way kind of the attitude that led us into Ronald Reagan's era. Uh huh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, which you know was not far away in 1979. So, yeah, that the, those were <laughs> pumping gas. Yeah. That, <laughs> Did people still pump gas in 1979, or was that? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think Oregon. Were, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there were other people that, uh, you know, other places where they would have to like pump the gas for you. But uh, you know, uh, the other thing is, so here we have, uh, we have this, this narrative, and and let's say Harry's a millionaire, right? I, right, I think exactly. that's probably a reasonable. A, yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable assumption. He's he's so clever. He can buy used oil rigs from the Saudi Arabians <laughs> and sell them to their hated enemies, yeah. the Israelis. And you think not only is that amazing that you managed to buy something from the Saudis and sell it from the Israelis, although why is that actually a big deal? Because why would the Saudis know you're selling it to the Israelis in the first place? Uh, they, you know, they, they, they don't care. They sold it. But then the other part of it is, why are the Israelis so stupid? As to buy oil rigs, and they have no oil. He got me there. They, he just the, the best clever. they have is is oil shale, a little bit of it, but and it's and it's geologically yeah, they don't have a lot of land to to drill on. Yeah, no, they they just don't have the reserves underneath it. It's just wrong. Well, that, yeah, that's just the wrong geography. Yeah, geology. Um, so okay, but anyway, he's a millionaire. And he makes himself a rocket, and he goes to space. I, I have this feeling. I would like to think, and I, I don't think it's true, but I would like to think that, unfortunately, the Trace Pricayeros, Musk, Bezos, and Branson saw this and, as young men and thought, "Ah, that's what I'm gonna do." But uh, <laughs> realistically speaking, Musk, South Africa, he never saw this. Branson, England, he never saw this. But Bezos, he's yeah, he our age. Have. Yeah, he he might have. He's just a little this. older than me, and and you know I I I can't think he's but but the way they went about it bears no resemblance to this whatsoever. 
Uh huh. So yeah, I'm guessing this film is not as realistic as it might have been. Um, <laughs> which is really a shame because I just really wanted to build my own rocket ship. Speaking of building yeah. your own rocket ship, did you notice at the end of this that on the TV screen that they're going, yeah, we, we did the thing, we're really tired, and uh, but you know we've realized that this is the sort of thing you should leave to the proper authorities and the government to do. So, without saying the words, kids, don't try this at home. <laughs> they ended this with, kids, don't try this at home. Right. Yeah. Well, you know. It's like how, know, how could this maybe there be would have anything... been some kids out there that could do that? <laughs> how could this, if this had actually happened, how could this be anything but a uh, a, a massive success uh-huh. that could have been replicated easily at this point, right? Easily and better in the next iteration. Start by not launching from the center of Los Angeles. Yeah, but, that's a good idea. You know, have your own flight computer. There's another one. That would yes. Yes. I mean, Harry's got that land way out in the middle of nowhere, so that's good. So, yeah, you know, you could you, you could do all these things in version two and do this so much better with all that you learned from the first one. This is this yeah, is they're... not this was not a failure that you walk away from and go, yeah, I shouldn't do that. It was ill advised. And it's like, no, this would advance space travel decades. No, easily, easily. Like what's fifteen percent failure rate? <laughs> yeah, and nothing we really, really need to worry about. New, no, no, yeah. no, new, no, not at all. I, it's it's interesting. Uh, I didn't realize this narrative went back that far, but there is that NASA only wants to do things with one hundred percent safety <laughs> margins. Well, and yeah, yeah, okay, we'll go with that. One hundred percent. That's. They they well, want high degrees of safety. That's that's for sure, right? And there has been a there has been a uh, a criticism of let's, yes. Let's not talk Challenger to start with. Let's 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 go pre Challenger for a moment and say that there has been criticism that NASA spends too much and takes too much time and does you know and makes everything too expensive because of their extensive requirements for high safety. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I don't know if that's true, because then they turn around and you know, boffed the Challenger. Well, it, from, yeah, and the, that the, was because of uh, internal problems with NASA not understanding their own safety. The the the, the orbiter vehicle and the systems that supported it were hands down the most complex devices ever devised by mankind. They were insanely complicated. The uh, they, the the systems they they had people working on failure analysis for every single thing on there, and there were still mistakes made. That's right. because spaceflight is inherently dangerous. It was always yep. going to be dangerous, and you can't account for a hundred percent safety a hundred percent of the time. Just because there's always going to be that little percentage of oops, well, we didn't think that river was going to happen, and well, um, you know that, and, and they try to, they know there's going to be a problem, but they they try to minimize whatever that's going to be by really analyzing it and spending a lot of time 
you know, uh, behind the scenes, making sure that there isn't a really big explosion all at once, as opposed to a long, drawn-out explosion <laughs> over the course of the mission, as the way it should wow. be. Yeah. Well, so, and, and there was a, I don't know, a movie made a while back about uh, the the challenge, the Rogers, I guess the Rogers report, uh, and and Feynman's role in that, and uh, that's a that's a fascinating bit of uh, failure analysis. So there was a there was a disconnect between management and engineering mm-hmm. on the Challenger. Now they had what they call a a a a failure. What do they call it? It's not a failure rate, but oh, a safety safety rate safety rate. Well, of, safety of rate three, or... three. Okay. So in other words, given an example, using the example of a bridge. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Engineering, engineering something. Yeah, yeah. Overreacting it. If you've got a bridge that is designed only to handle a thousand pound cars, right, or a thousand pounds of weight, and it can withstand three thousand pounds, that is a three. Yeah, that's three times. Yeah, yeah. But the argument goes: if if the if the bridge handles three or handles a thousand pound car, but it gets a little crack in it, your rate zero because even though it didn't fail catastrophically, it didn't. It didn't knock. Now, NASA management didn't get that, apparently. So those O-rings, amongst other things about the compression and the cold and the whatnot, but they also, they they were supposed to have a a, like a rate of three, and they would burn through a third of the way on Mm -hmm. some of the tests. They still functioned, and so their, their logic was that, you know, it could have gone three times as much before it would have failed, Ergo, you have a three. That's not what the engineers would have rated it at, but management did. And right. things like that, this disconnect in in what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. Right, right. Because the, 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 the cost of having the engineers control the final product and control the process was slow and, and very high because they understood the tolerances required for these things and they understood statistics and, what do you know, engineering. Yeah, like this way. That's why they were out of jobs after the Apollo program because those guys yeah. understand stuff like that. And then uh, yeah, management who wants always finds the lands on their feet. Right. Oh, all the money they would waste on testing things. Yeah. And yeah. building something that still can withstand three times their specs. What are you talking about? This is crazy. Man. Nonetheless, there there is that. There is definitely a a, a, a thumbing your nose in this show at wanting a hundred percent safety factor. Yes. And that, that is, is, I would say, kind of reflected on how some commercial spaceflight companies seem to operate, you know. Uh, Go figure. Build quickly, test often. Uh, you're quickly gonna break and break a, things. You're going to break a lot of stuff, but you will get to a product that won't break as often. Now, I'm not saying it's not going to stop breaking because, as we know, as I said before, Space is inherently dangerous, and things are going to happen that you just never thought of. And, yeah. uh, you know, one method produces, well, all right, they both produce results. One takes a lot longer than the other one. And the other appeals to um, a public and shareholders with short attention spans. I mean, yep. Oh, I should say owners with short attention spans. And people who don't understand uh, math. 
I mean, so the, the, well, even people who do understand math think, well, yeah. all right, we're we're willing to roll these odds, do it. But so, so for example, in that in the in the sequence where Skip says, well, you know, NASA wants a hundred percent, but you know, if we bring her down to ninety percent or eighty-five, uh, you know, what is Harry's response? Better odds than you get on the freeway? No, it's not. Why? No, if that was happening, you would you but, would die every you have an accident every tenth trip. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you would know a large number of people who died on the freeway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're thinking, you know, air transportation between here and the grocery store would be a lot safer than the road. But the but the fact is that he could just quite literally say something like that, and I could conceivably believe anybody, well, you know, many, many people would think that, and oh, I sure. could conceivably believe that the audience watching that was going, yeah. That's right. That's there's right. A city, there's like, a city in Nevada that is completely founded on that idea. It's called Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Math is hard. Yes, it is. Except for those NASA engineers with advanced degrees, but they're it's pumping the gas. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Well, I mean, Andy Griffith, good casting here. Uh, not really having a firm grip on who could have been available at the time, I'd say no. <laughs> I don't know. He's just, uh, I mean, I know he took this role to get out of the Mayberry-ish uh, kind of uh, uh-huh. role that he would, was cast in. I mean, after this, he did have quite a bit of success with Matlock right. as a, basically a private cop. Uh I, it so is, um, Matt Locke's a, a, a lawyer, a isn't detective. He? Oh, he's no, a lawyer? No, 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 no. He's like you know, a Parimacium. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. But he is, yeah, he's the guy solving the crimes. But yeah. yeah. That was on when I was a kid, and I have not watched it since. So there you go. It's actually, I don't it's remember actually quite watching. good. I mean, if you like that kind of... Eh, in small doses. Sort of, yeah. That was that's what you watched on the TV when you were waiting for your parents to finish shopping in the, the uh, department store. How about that? There is something kids won't have anything to to uh, relate to these days. Yeah, I, I can't relate to that. There was TV <laughs> in the department stores. Well, oh, yeah, Kmart yeah. sold TVs. Oh, you mean over in the TV section? Yeah, yeah. It never occurred to me to do that. Oh yeah, run away and go watch TV. Well, they do whatever, and then they come to find you later. Hey, yeah, stay yeah. care. Well, still completely missed out on wasted opportunity to watch TV. Yeah, all that. Terrible daytime TV when I was there. Hey, that's but, where I, yeah. I remember watching episodes of Gemini Man. So there you go. Yeah, see, I I probably went to shopping with my grandparents who were retired, so we always went during the day. So it oh, would have been soap oh, opera. So you know, reruns no, with My Dream of Genie. That would have been okay. That would have been all right. But uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, they definitely again they were kind of going for this. I I, I think they were. I think it's is actually pretty well cast because they're definitely going for the folksy country guy, right? Well, in that shrewd, respect, yes, yes, he's, the, he's the, fine, and, for that. and he's he's good at that, yeah. Um, and he is better than he is better than just Andy Taylor in a different, uh, in a different. Oh yeah, uh, he's a definitely different, different role. Different character, hats off from he can, that. It's, he can't act, yeah, yeah, he, uh, no, yeah, exactly. Although he's quite a jerk to his ex-wife. Yeah, I oh well. So that was an odd subplot that just didn't make any sense. 
Why, why do we spend the time having him have his ex-wife as his secretary? I don't know. And, I don't know. That was a that was a confusing one. What I what I cannot find out. Um, it, it doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't really jive with my memory of this show. And we know how memory works. I remember there being a pilot. I'm watching it and thinking, this is the greatest fantastic thing ever. And then being a delay. And they go, this was so popular, we've decided to make a series out of it. But I can't find any evidence that that happened. This this was like, we aired the pilot and next week the series began. And that's not my recollection. But again, I also, you know, can't find any proper reference to it being called salvage by itself and yet the copy we've been able to watch archive.org folks and it's got some problems uh yeah the title is salvage but if you go Mm -hmm. look and so the screen pops up that's flying a world war one plane it says salvage on the screen but if you look elsewhere you will see that exact scene speak with salvage one over the top of it I think that was because the series is called Salvage One, and the pilot, right. the two-parter pilot, was called Salvage. It's episode one and two, I guess, and uh, that's just what they kept on the uh, the title card for the opening scene. That's my guess, anyways. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know, and and the name Salvage One doesn't make any sense either. Yeah, the, the ship was not called Salvage One. I don't understand that. It's called a vulture. Heck, which is a great name. Oh yeah, it's it is very appropriate. Vulture buzzard, as opposed to the eagle. Yeah, that was, mm-hmm. that was... Joel. Uh, what's his name? Gray, Joel Gray, as Skip Carmichael, hotshot, long-haired NASA astronaut oh, with the Joel classic seventies. Oh Higgins, Higgins. Yeah, Higgins. Is it Higgins? Okay, I think so. It's Joel Gray what... then. I don't know. You're probably right. You're probably right. It is. Joel Higgins is definitely a guy. <laughs> it's definitely a real person. Oh, why am I thinking Joel Gray? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he Silver Spoons? Yeah, he was uh, Ricky Schroeder's dad, I think. I don't remember yeah. that series very much, but yeah. Well, I certainly did not watch that show. <laughs> Man, wrong time of year, but yeah. Um, he was all right. I mean, I'm not convinced that he they yeah, doing a pinch i mean I, you yeah, know, he, yeah he didn't he really come off part. as an astronaut but he did come off as a sort of flaky used car salesman oh yeah yeah that was fine <laughs> sitting there doing bit of meditation on top of a car waiting for uh waiting for something to come into his web Can't um <laughs> <laughs> ah yes but he is the uh, author of the book the translinear vector principle which apparently means uh, uh, constant slow acceleration wins yeah. in the long run. Yeah, straight line. Yeah, mm-hmm. what ion drives do? Uh, yeah, not called that, but right. But the deal there is that ion drives, even the most you know hopped up ones with the highest kilowatt rating, still only produce maybe grams of force. It's just over you know, a long period of time. Right. They have a, an immense sp- specific impulse, but the, yeah, the, you're not going to get off the ground with them. Yeah. It's that, there's that, it's that minor sadly, little problem. There's, there's nothing that would have the same energy capability that uh, 
their sadly fictitious monohydrazine has on Earth. Would eight, eight, would, would eight I, force be oh, able to overcome? Eight, would eight tons of force be able to overcome gravity for that ship? Because that's what it, that's what it was measuring on their uh, tests at full power. Eight tons of force. Oh, yeah, that, that should lift it off the ground, yeah. I later found on a, a website that actually had quite a bit of information about the series, uh, Specs on the Vulture, and it said that their the empty weight was five tons empty. Well, yeah, okay. Empty okay. weight is five tons empty. So all up weight was probably maybe 10 tons, but I, I'm going to guess that the hydrazine weighs less than water, probably a lot less. So eight tons might be about its all up weight, the wet weight. So if they weren't at 100% throttle, then uh, eight tons would be fine. Um, they were at 100% throttle. How many scales was... were there? Or how many chains? They only showed one. They only showed one. Okay. That doesn't mean they're... Yeah. That doesn't so, mean they so were accurately making a, a Newton force each, meter. Each chain, each chain would have had eight tons of force pulling on it. So if there was four, there's 24 okay. tons of force. So, oh yeah, it's more than enough to get that thing off the ground. So yeah, that's just, they just need to I, they have I, to work I, on their monohydrazine fuel. Exactly. I wish I would have had that information in my head when I was like trying to uh, figure out force information about this. But the long and short of it is that they had 800 gallons of fuel on board, and they did what it took close to a million gallons of fuel for Apollo to do. Now, granted, they were lifting a lot more weight, but now, didn't didn't they say in this film? I'm not saying this film is a not... bastion of scientific accuracy no, no. by any stretch no, of the. It is interesting. I God. thought, I thought initially she said we could do it for a thousand gallons. Later, she revised it down to eight hundred. And I yeah, thought she... the guys said it was either NASA needed ten thousand or a hundred thousand gallons, but it wasn't a million of rocket fuel. The Saturn V rocket contained about 950,000 gallons of fuel. <laughs> okay. So, so they should have had the internet and a science advisor. No, no, if they'd had a science they, advisor, have the science would have advisor. been made. They did. It was Isaac Asimov for the first episode. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> yeah. Isaac Asimov did science advising for this. Sure, if you could, yeah. But, you know, nah, yeah. the man is a writer, and he <laughs> understands that science can get away, get in the way of good story. So, <laughs> I, I wonder how much advising he did. I mean, you know, you can pay somebody to be a science <laughs> advisor, and and they look at your script and send you some notes, and you ignore them. Yeah, and, but no. you get Isaac Asimov on your, yeah, on your. Um, although I didn't see it in the credits, but but the credits were kind of messed up on this copy. So, yeah, <laughs> could you make a cement mixer airtight? And so oh. base worthy. Uh, yes. Yes. That, that part, that part's easy. Uh, cement mixer, the drum weighs about 7,500 pounds. Uh, they're made of, uh, the, the really good ones are made of quarter inch rolled welded steel. Uh, so yeah, they're plenty strong. Okay. And making it airtight is simply a matter of, uh, of sealing up the weep holes and putting hatches on it. Yeah, that part's easy. Okay. Okay. I, I wasn't sure if there was any, uh, 
I don't want to use the phrase permeability of, of not steel the metal, but okay. No. Quarter inch plenty. That's overkill, probably. Okay. Um okay. well they got something right. Yeah, the, the tank, uh the, the, the fuel tank, the the body made of uh a um oil a, a gasoline tanker truck uh fuel tank. Yeah. I don't know. I think that would probably collapse under the weight because it's not built to make that not 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 designed for that type of loading of having mm-hmm. something heavy on the top of it like that you have to put struts or something around it maybe they did that i don't know internal bracing there's got a big big uh diaphragm inside of it full of the fuel so who knows yeah it's possible i give a rough estimate of the all-up weight of vulture being around fifty thousand pounds but that's apparently quite a bit higher than what the web page says but then again you know it was a tv show anybody anybody making a web page about this show wants it to be true <laughs> that's that's true yeah <laughs> wants to be as accurate as possible <laughs> yeah they're they're committed they're committed to this <laughs> polaroids in space um i don't think that would work uh i i'm Polaroids rely on a liquid chemical to develop the photographic emulsion, and uh, that has a relatively narrow uh, working uh, environment. Uh, and space is going to be, you know, either positive 250 degrees or negative 250 or 230 degrees, and uh, uh, the, the 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 chemicals will definitely freeze at like minus 70. Yeah, I'm not sure if the temperature extremes would be what would kill the film. I think it would be the lack of atmosphere would cause yeah. the the film packets to burst. But I'm not sure about that. What about a what about a, just a film camera? I mean, well, I those, know NASA took film cameras, but if yeah. you took your DSLR or your SLR, not DSLR, but uh, I would probably would get one shot off, maybe. But if it's exposed to a vacuum. The lubrication that's inside of it is going to essentially boil, freeze. Oh, and oh yeah, yeah. That's it true. will outgas and out-gas, it will yeah. cause cause uh, cause things to get gummed up. So cameras that go into space have to be completely disassembled and then reassembled using vacuum-safe lubricants. You know, like um, molybdenum grease that has special binders in them to not outgas when there's no pressure and stuff like that. And then, of course, you need to make sure that the camera body is thermally regulated enough so it doesn't actually cause the film to essentially melt because uh, the acetate base will be destroyed under, uh, you know, even indirect heat. Um, and if it's extremely cold, it'll be brittle. It'll break when you try to roll it. So, yeah. Uh, there would have to be nowadays, some thermal blankets around it and stuff like that. Nowadays, just take a GoPro, obviously. Oh, sure, but, sure. And that battery will just be fine in a vacuum. Well, it wouldn't be. It'll be inside the uh, airproof uh, uh, case. So, so uh, it's you'd got find out how quickly it. that, uh, what, what type of pressure that could withstand. No, it would probably work fine for a while. Yeah, I don't know how long, but it would work fine for a bit. But for whatever reason, on this, on this story, they felt that it was absolutely essential that they get their pictures right away. Uh, well, you know, it's TV. While they're up have, there on the moon, yeah. 
Yep, it's TV. You got to show it happening. You can't say, oh, these will look great when we get back to Earth. No, but no, they never showed the picture, picture, did they? I might have to go rewatch it. I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't think they showed the picture. I mean, you do see it coming out, but I, I think the audience is in 1979. If they pulled out a camera with a big old lens and went click, 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 they probably would have known they were taking pictures. Well, also, I mean, there are a few Ford's... people maybe somewhere in Georgia or Alabama going, "Well, what's that doing there? Uh, what's well, that click, that. click thing or something?" But. I was watching Andy Taylor. That's why I'm here. What's going on? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, in the late 70s, Polaroids were very popular. And they were very, you know, very trendy hip things to have. So, yeah, I, I think that a Polaroid is, is very appropriate. Let's see. They When they went, they they said they were going to the... Uh, darn it, I don't have it right here in front of me, but I believe they said they were going to the landing site of and the fifth Apollo landing. I think it was the fifth. Anyway, I, whatever number it was, because I did, in fact, write it down, I looked it up, that's Apollo 16. Yeah. And I can find no reference to Serenity Base, which is what Mel's called it. Mel called it. In the yeah, uh, in the episodes, the like, well, Islands. yeah, yeah, it's and I, I went through all the Apollo missions, you know, Tranquility Base, sure, but Serenity Base, I don't know, so it, it almost felt like they were trying to make up a fictitious Apollo landing, but there is a fifth right. Apollo landing in the <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they would would uh would make that up. No, I don't know, maybe they just uh, maybe like somebody. The name. Yeah, they like the name or they misremembered it or something. I don't know. Who knows? It's just an odd an odd bit of... Yep. So uh, we actually talked about this one a little bit before, not before podcasting tonight, but, but a while back, because we came across, you came across the archive.org collection. I've been looking for this thing for ages. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I'll tell you, folks, it does need some work. All right. Yeah. So I, yeah. I had they're... to put that pilot episode through a video editor and try to fix a whole bunch of audio and video problems so that we could get a watchable copy. Good job, by the way. <laughs> that uh, so that it helps. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at the fixes you made and the, the you know the the, the the it definitely made it more watchable. It, the only thing I could say is that uh you instead of just a blue screen you should have thrown in like uh like missing scene or something like that <laughs> yeah, uh, well. in there. But yeah, no, yeah. no, that definitely. I, I'd uh, have done it, it differently through my next pass, but at this point I'm just, I was like, yeah, yeah. I just want to watch it. it. I'm going to watch it. And I get, I, because you're about, I don't know, it's a 90, 90 plus minute thing. And you're, you're about, I don't know, 60 minutes. In. I think they're just taking, yes, they're just taking off from earth. And then it goes wonky. And from that yep. point on, it's like a minute and 16 second out from the audio and video. It's terrible. <laughs> and then it's really yeah, bad definitely in places. Something, something happened there. I'm not sure what, but wow. The, the show is basically was apparently released in Canada on DVD at one point. But apart from a couple of uh, one or combined two episodes together, things, it's it's not, uh, it, it's not available. It's not anyway, but you. you yeah. You found this and the whole series. Now we're not yes. doing the whole series. 
We're not doing the series. No, no. And I will tell you right now, I haven't watched any of the other episodes. But oh, what I do remember you. is that it was the most biggest letdown in the history of television. Because <laughs> we want space. We want yeah. spaceship going into space and and not generic, hey, I've got a rocket-shaped helicopter nonsense. Anyway, but... Yeah, the, 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 the practical episode is helicopter shows were to come in the 80s with uh, Riptide. We have Blue Thunder. Oh, yeah. Blue Thunder. Airwolf. Yeah. Airwolf. I'd rather watch Riptide. <laughs> I like Airwolf, but it's like, yeah, yeah. Airwolf was all right. I didn't watch much of that. I don't know why. The, um, the, the thing you mentioned that I wanted to bring up here is the idea of going to a historic site on the moon and uh, removing... Yeah the the stuff yeah and i don't know if you remember this but you and i both listened to we didn't we haven't reviewed it for the show but you and i both listened to big finishes uh star cops mm-hmm. and one of the episodes had to do with how they preserved the apollo locations on yeah. the moon mm-hmm. uh, as historic heritage sites or I forgot what uh, what designation they had, but they had uh, heritage sites. And I can, when you mentioned the idea that this is probably not acceptable to do, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. No, that's but, okay. Uh, you know that uh, that's the impression I got yeah. from you is that you yeah, think it, maybe the, it should be left alone. Going, right, the, the idea of going to a a a his a place of great importance of the the history of mankind. And basically hauling the artifacts off just to me seems to be just a bad idea. This, so preserving it would be much better for future generations. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I'm also immediately sympathetic to that idea. And is it? You know, you Good. play that game where you go, why? And I can't actually... I can't actually come up with a good reason. <laughs> well, no, to show, I, to, to just to show the uh, the you know what what mankind has been able to achieve, and you kind of to uh, remember that. Whom. So yeah, to, you know, you, if you have the a, people if you who have show a, up later, if you have a historic place uh, on Earth, mm-hmm. they tend to be preserved so that they can be museums. Right. 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 How long, if ever, is it going to be till somebody gets up there to make that into a museum? Will people be wandering around in spacesuits going to that to that site? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I I don't actually. You could theoretically preserve those footprints forever, right? More or less, micrometeoroids are going to throw some stuff up periodically yeah, yeah, and whatnot, but not going to last forever. You know, yes. You know, they're they're certainly going to. They're certainly probably still there now and and Mm -hmm. highly recognizable and you could preserve them but it just kind of i'm not opposed to the idea of preserving them but on the other hand if you brought the stuff back you could stick it through this is the argument yeah people i'm sure this is the argument somebody's using for the elgin marbles right now well (laughs) we're preserving Uh them from the uh the yes barbaric indigenous people time and look yeah. at all the other people who get to see them now, since people go to London easier than they go to the middle of Iraq. And exactly. there's a slightly less chance of being shot. Yeah. 
So there is a that I I don't know. I it just like eh, six of one half, a dozen of the other. I mean, it's not like they left it there to be historically preserved. They left it there because they were they littering. To. Well, yeah, they're littering. It, there was expendable bits of the the mission. Yeah, yeah. Yep. They just bling, bling, there you go. Um, I don't know. Did they? They probably didn't dump their poo out on the ground. Uh, yeah, they. There's there's bags, bags left on there because there was no reason to bring any that back other than whatever the uh, the uh, the lab guys wanted. <laughs> don't forget to bring your poo back. Yeah, there was some some venting of of material. But not like they opened the hatch and you know just like on a plane flung it like a Dumped space it. monkey into a crater. Right over Chicago. No, yeah. they, they dropped it off with the rest of the trash uh, before they lifted off. That trash would be worth a fortune. Oh, undoubtedly, there would be collectors who would pay just that have another heaps wall. of money. <laughs> yeah, already there's there's plenty of people who spend uh, ungodly amounts of money for. Anything has been proven to be flown in space. You King know. Khalid in this very episode of Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it, we'll buy yeah it exactly. All. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Cash offer. Here you go. We'll mm-hmm. take it all. Um, yeah. Which, I, you know, I think was probably, it's, it's an interesting combination of people they chose on the TV show. The President of the United States, the Prime Minister of Israel, Menachem Begin. Yep. Who has to be the most stereotyp- stereotypically Jewish thing he could possibly go. What? Schutzbach? Yeah. Wow. Okay. And and then the king of Saudi Arabia is like, we'll buy it all. No, no, like, no. Nothing from the Soviet Union. Let's see. Degrading you capitalist pigs and whatnot. Right, but exactly, yeah. You would think they would have something to say. It's, a, it's an eclectic batch of people that they that they brought forward. And the king of Saudi Arabia, I think, comes back to that whole OPEC. They are in ascendancy. And the United yeah. States in the late 1970s is like, oh, the Arabs are buying everything. Yes. You know, followed up with the with the 80s. Oh, the Japanese are buying They're everything. Buying everything. In the 90s, oh, the Chinese are buying everything. And Was there somebody between the Japanese and the Chinese? I don't remember. In, in the, in the yeah, well, I don't goal of so. paranoid people purchasing everything in the United States. So again, there's there's a little there's a little commentary. It's very seventies in this episode. We can't not talk about the computer stuff. Oh yeah, the computer stuff. You know, I actually kind of just glossed over that when I was watching it. It's like, okay, so they used a modem to steal time on a computer to do some calculations for their system. Yeah. All right. It's just going to be, oh, look, we get to see a box with light on. Well, that's more than what I expected. <laughs> what would they explain what a modem is? Oh, yes. That would have been new kind technology of. back in the, the 70s. Kind of. They kind of explained what a modem uh, was. Yeah. In the most vaguest of terms, yes. I don't think I don't think modems in 1979 worked quite like that. Flip it this way and a computer answers. Flip it this way and a person answers. Like, uh... Yeah, no... Uh, I think you just call a different phone number to get the computer to answer. Pretty much, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was like we need a we need a flight computer. We just steal one. the 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 part that's really fascinating to me about that is he uses the word steal, and, and you used it steal time on the computer. Yeah, 
No one would use that terminology now. Oh, heck no. Hack into. You'd hack into it. Yeah. You know, you'd hack into or. Yeah. Or any, and, but it, I think people, still, I don't think a lot of people remember that there was a time when you had to request an, uh, an allocation of time to run your programs. And if you allocate, you were, you went over the allocation, your program would not compile. It wouldn't finish. You'd have mm-hmm. to try again next time or, you know, hopefully leave off or I don't know what, but yeah. And speaking of computers, so, I mean, when when I'm watching this, this is no joke. My wife could verify this one. The, it comes up and they go, we're going to steal gonna steal computer time on this thing and then load them and then click in and then, yeah, they've got the thing. And I and I turned to my wife and I said, I hope they know when the maintenance window on that system is. <laughs> Perfect. Yep. Because, you know, it's got to go down for backups probably. Yep. Every day. Yep. Uh, quite likely. And or uh, have the air filters cleaned on it. <laughs> yep. Back in those days, it's going to have some maintenance cycles on it. And you, if you're stealing it, that's one thing when, you know, oh, it's available. We can get what we need out of it. It's a whole other thing when it's a mission critical system. And, and when that technician walked in, he goes, I'm here to service. So I, my, my, I slapped my head so hard. It wasn't yep. even funny. It was like, oh, okay. Well, well played you. Yeah, somebody knows how computers work. Cool. (laughs) Somebody, sort of, yeah, sort of. Um, They don't know how computer technicians work, though, because uh, I'm pretty sure that a guy whose job it is to do maintenance on computers, walking into a room where a crowd full of people are watching a private moon landing, and they go, hey, (laughs) you're going to hold off on that. You want to watch this? Yeah, you see one moon landing, you've seen them all. I don't know. Really? yeah, I think that there are some. There, there are there some were, people some... like that. I'm just saying. I just don't think they're working in computers. But maybe I don't but, know. Wow, back back that, then that was also that was that, more that like was also you know, a very a um, derogatory was... uh, position there. Yes, people. Yeah, it was... well, the guy talking on the the, the news guy that Harry is watching on the recording about how the space program is so expensive and a waste of time and we lost all this stuff and 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 the government saying oh well you know we've buying this stuff back it's like these were they're really playing up the angle of it was a waste of money time and money yeah and it's really odd for a show that wants you to sell you the dream of flying to the moon well, i think they were trying to make a further and first a point that that uh the 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 mission to salvage what was on the moon is you know really a uh, 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 harebrained adventure and uh, really kind of sticking it to the man that sort of type stuff. Yeah, I, I'm yeah, I definitely think that's that's definitely a, a a feature of it. It's just kind of odd how they're really running down. I think they did it the too program. Many times. Yeah, really? they they were really running down NASA. I mean they. They fire all their guys. They can't get jobs. So that means NASA engineers are unemployable, useless people in society. Uh-huh. And programs over expensive. And, we, and then no we left going to space. We built this moon rover and we left it up there. It costs over a million dollars. Like, yeah. I mean, there's very good reasons why they left it on the moon. I know I joke about it being littering, but it is, they couldn't get it back. <laughs> right. <laughs> The, yeah. That was a feature of, of trying to return to Earth. So, I mean, it's 
Whoa. It, it just it is characterized so negatively. And yet the guys at NASA in the end come through for us. Mm-hmm. Yep. So weird. It's it's it, it is a it is a weird piece of evolution yeah. in the end. Oh, and the 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 each of those moon rovers uh would have cost about ten million dollars uh in nineteen sixty well nineteen early nineteen seventies money to produce. So yeah, I guess that they would have held their value a bit. Gonna get a couple million ten million, ten percent. So yeah. Sure, why not? I, I can I can guarantee you that if they brought a moon rover down from the moon, oh, it would go for get, more than that. It would go for far more than it costs to produce. Oh, it yeah. would go for far more than it costs to produce, more than it costs to send it there, more than no, it costs yes. to bring it back. Yes, it, it would it's be like, an easy half. You of, put that on auction, and it would be, yeah, that would be pricey. That would be pricey. Which uh, you know, uh, you could argue wouldn't be. Because everyone apparently thinks the space program was a complete waste of time and mm-hmm. money. Yeah. And yet the capitalist system says, oh, yeah, no, no, that stuff's worth a lot. I, I, yeah. I'm not quite sure what the line is they're straddling on this thing, but there you go. I don't know that I have anything else about it. I mean, I did enjoy it, but it it definitely kind of doesn't age as well as, as when you're 14 and watching it. Yeah. Oh, true, true. Definitely a little kid watching that. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, as I said before, it was it it was really inspirational. Now, granted, I did not go into anything related to the space program, but it definitely. But you are the guy it. who takes the computers down for maintenance sometimes. Oh when yeah, using them. Yes, oh, you heck are. Yeah. You're the man <laughs> at that. <laughs> there you go. And and I have stopped work to watch space stuff. So yes. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I <laughs> I hope I hope listeners can find a way to watch this. Um like I say it's 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 pretty rough on archive.org. I think there may be a copy in parts on YouTube of things, but uh it's yeah, definitely I think, a... I I think that there is something on YouTube that might work better, but it might be just a re-upload of the stuff on archive. I'm. I didn't watch the ones on YouTube. I was pretty excited when I found the, the salvage one by accident. I don't even remember what I was looking for. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna type in salvage one. Whoa, really? Wow, it's there. A real um, TV show on on their archive without having somebody do a copyright takedown. Kind of surprising. Yeah. Well, hopefully that doesn't happen because of this uh, podcast. <laughs> All our listeners at NASA and the television uh, networks are like, what? Are you kidding me? Get that thing off there. Yeah. (laughs) Because that's who kept this show down. It's the powers that be. That's why it's never been rerun or anything like that. I think think because there's uh, Blue Origin and uh, SpaceX, those powers that be have have probably tied. (laughs) (laughs) But it would be kind of cool if there was some sort of a power source that you know, was a thousand times more potent than uh, rocket fuel that you could pull something like this off. Because the idea of just basically accelerating it a little bit higher than uh, uh, the force of gravity that's pulling you down would definitely work. I mean, you there, could do there, it. there is something a thousand times more powerful than rocket fuel. It's the power of love. 
What's the uh, specific <laughs> impulse of love? Do you, do you have any ratings on that? It's infinite. Love well, is, is it? infinite. Is it? It is. Okay. It is. Uh, that's good to know. At least I, the I, love of a puppy. Oh, well. <laughs> From a dog. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> suppose. I, I do have to bring up that the idea of using um, something like this this propellant to, to gently loft you into the heavens is not an original one. Uh, so I'm going to make a reference to the 1963 British comedy film, The Mouse on the Moon, where the the uh, uh, the, the people of the Duchy of Grand Fenwick, a very, very tiny country in Europe, uh, whose uh, only export is wine, uh, it's, it's found that their wine starts to explode after a while. And uh, they come up with this clever ploy of of essentially conning the United States out of money uh, because they want to have a, a rocket uh, program uh, based on, uh, I, I guess, their their wine. Who knows? And uh, the idea is just to get money from the United States so they can put indoor plumbing in the castle. But the scientist who's uh, figured out how to harness this actually does make a rocket using shower heads as uh, uh, thrust nozzles and what do you know, the thing works. And they actually get to the moon and end up saving the astronauts and the cosmonauts who eventually land there after they do and bring them safely home. So uh, it's it's amusing film. I, I, I recommend anybody who likes a good old uh, comedy to watch it. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that one. And the original, the, the, the original, but the first uh, mouse film, uh, The Mouse That Roared, with Peter Sellers in it, in, uh, oh boy, 1950, well, I remember when that one came out. Uh, that one also is is just funny as heck. All right. Well, John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusionpatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the seventh episode of Crime Traveler, entitled The Lottery Experiment. When we discuss whether time is a sentient trickster, the ramifications for gambling laws when time travel is possible, and we reminisce about the era of fax machines when mobile phones were as common as jacuzzis. Join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.